This week on Log It, episode 8, Chinatown, selected by your host, Ian Locke, with your other host, Caleb White. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the crowd is out. roaring. <laughs> Caleb, Caleb. What's up, man? Log What's up? Log it. Log it. Log it. I was logging a lot of movies this week. I saw. I have a lot of questions. It, it was like a certain type of movie. I liked what I was seeing. And I, cool. I liked what I was seeing. I've been procrastinating watching movies. Mm. It's been like my... Well, I can watch a movie, and that's technically productive because I need to do it for the podcast, but also right. it lets me avoid real things I should be doing. So I've been watching. Yeah. That's been why I've had such a flurry. You're like, if I can do it, I can do it. Like, if yeah, it's, and I'll if I have the time, let's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got to watch a movie at some point. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's part of the job now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why we did. That's why we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I told you my alex my wife was doing schoolwork, and then i plopped on the couch right next to her and was like oh god i have to watch four movies and she was really annoyed at me for even um for even treating this like i'm on your side alex no hey come on no i'm not on our side always log it log it log it log it log it I'm looking at your your recent activity and it's yeah, we can it's jump wild. Into it. I think we should and I think we should start with maybe okay, let's start with me first because mine okay. is less interesting Got and it. I kind of want to finish let's on yours cuz let's get to the Let's get stuff. mine out of the way cuz I have a few <laughs> questions about yours cuz there's okay. a few movies that you that you watched that I was okay. interested in. So Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited okay. to talk to you about them. There's a lot that I wanted to text you about and then I had to be like save it for the pod. How come you didn't? Save it for the pod. Is that a t-shirt? That could be. I, I think know. that might be it. Because I know that a lot of people do that. Okay, hold on. Real quick tangent. There's two. I was going to say, there's a lot of catchphrases I hear on podcasts. Save it for the pod is one of them. Other, people, another, say other people say that. It makes sense. And I, think that's kind of, I think that's kind of just a mantra, especially when friends do podcasts together. You don't want to ruin the good combo. You don't exactly. Another one that I hear a lot is when someone agrees with another person, they say 100%. They don't say like, I agree. They say the phrase 100%. Now, I don't think that's a t-shirt, but I just want to say that uh, that is also something I hear. Do you hear is that, that too? born from the emoji? I don't know. Oh, maybe that could be. Because you just reply 100. But it does, I don't even that's know if the true. emoji I says even, percent. I think it just is 100 underlined. Um, Weird. But that's just that's just something that was on my mind. Okay, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I so, liked it. That felt good. Here's one thing that's not one hundred percent. I only watched three movies this week. Not one hundred percent. I had a busy week, as you as you know, or as I. It's summer. I mean, in in the PNW summer, you got to mm-hmm. do stuff. It really exactly. is a window. You got to hit exactly. You can only watch movies at like nine thirty. Because that's when the sun goes down. Yeah, otherwise it's too that's... bright. You got glare and stuff. Exactly. So starting off, I watched a movie that recently came out in theaters or re-released in theaters, I should say. And I was bummed I wasn't able to catch it. But I was happy to watch it anyway because I love this movie. And that is Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, 1981, Steven Spielberg. Yep. Crime. Yeah. 
Prime, Prime Spielberg. I love this movie, Caleb. I love this movie. I'm kind of snailing my way through the trilogy or quadrilogy. What's a five trilogy? What's five movies? Quintilogy. Quintilogy. Because I do want to see Dial of Destiny. I do want to see it. So I'm kind of working my way through these movies until that one comes out. I don't really have notes on this movie. I just watched it and I had a great time and I didn't really want to, you know. Perhaps with the new film coming out, maybe there'll be an opportunity to do a little um, retrospective deep dive mini episode, mini long, mini full episode. Some have said that that could be a thing in the future. Some have said, yeah, we'll see. That's kind of why I was doing this, by the way. So save save for the pod. I'll save for the pod. I will say... Yeah, I mean, it really... Okay, tangent again. I went to Disneyland a couple months ago. Went on Indiana Jones up. Indiana Jones ride. Still awesome. That's all I got. That ride rules. The ball is in this movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, anyway. After that, I took a little bit of a U-turn, and I watched Judas and the Black Messiah. That's a movie from 2021, directed by Shaka King, Starring uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Kaluuya, Jesse Plemons, Dominique Fishback. Really amazing movie. I think it's a movie that got shafted because this came out kind of like um, peak COVID. I know that Daniel Kaluuya won an Oscar for this movie. I feel like it deserved more or at least it deserved a lot more recognition and being viewed by a lot of people because I thought it was a fantastic movie. It's a movie about about Freddie Hampton, who is one of the... um, he was part of the Black Panther Party in Chicago. Really powerful story. Extreme, like, powerful acting from both Lakeith and, and Daniel. It was, like, it was amazing. I could not recommend it more. Um, very harrowing film, but really, really well acted. And the and the, um, the music's fantastic. I didn't actually check to see who the composer was, but really, really awesome music. Kind of remind me of this next movie, which is our feature film, 1974's Chinatown. Directed by Rowan Polanski. And over to you, Caleb, because I think you need a long runway because you watched quite a few movies, <laughs> if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I was only planning on doing my last four, but I'm happy to talk about anything I watched since our last episode. Okay, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Uh, I don't care. I love okay. talking about. No, I will talk about anything all day. Love Daniel Kaluuya. I haven't seen Jude and the Black Messiah yet, but I really would like to. It's, I think he is just like awesome. So it'd be fun to see him in a role where he's really. Yeah, I think it's it's because we you and I talked about Nope, which was the yeah. first time I saw he's in that movie. I love that movie. And then he's also in Across the Spider-Verse, which I was like, I just need to watch more of his movies or the movies I haven't seen of his. Um, you've all, you've seen Get one. Out, obviously, as well, right? Which he's so I've great. seen Get Out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's amazing. He's he's a great actor. Yeah, He's cool. He's British, right? Like he came from British television. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Skins, maybe. I'm sure he was part of that. I don't know. I don't know the lineage, but yeah, he is British. He's a British actor. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's a really fun set. Three, well, two classics. Dan, uh, the Messiah could be a classic. I haven't seen it, but, you know, give it a few years and I'm sure. One other question about Indiana Jones. Yes, please. Are they planning on releasing more of them in theaters? That's a good question. I don't I only saw because another plug for Across the Spider-Verse when I went to go to the movies to see that 
they just had a poster of it in some, I think they only had a few, a few showings of Raiders. So I don't know. I don't know if that was something that they were planning on doing. It seems like they were just doing that. Well, that's really exciting. It'd be fun to see those in theaters again. Just I never got to, obviously. Not again. I said again. <laughs> right. Neither have I. I really want to watch Temple of Doom in theaters. Like That seems like a wild ride of a movie that would be fun to watch with a crowd. <sighs> Look, I know that the ratings are in. Some ratings are in for DoD. I love Destiny. And they're not great, Caleb. I've heard good things. <laughs> but I can't help but be a little excited. I think you and I have had this conversation, and this might be a really bad take, but we both don't think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is that bad. Is that right? Yeah, so I'm I'm a big defender, actually, of Crystal Skull. It might be pro-Crystal Skull. Two people I've talked to about it, you and Angelo. <laughs> Is Angelo also pro Crystal Skull? Yeah. Amazing. We've it's a Steven Spielberg Indiana Jones movie. Like that's never gonna happen again. Like be grateful you got a fourth one. Even if it's not as good as the original trilogy, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's like right. worthless. There's a lot of and Shia LaBeouf would have been the perfect successor to Indy. I still feel so sad. Obviously, another we got Roman on the episode today, and we got Shia yeah. now, another problematic dude. So no, no endorsement of these men or their personal no. actions. Uh, but during that is, time, he was perfectly set up to be the successor. He, he was, and and as an actor, as a performer, he would have been mm. really fun to continue that in that spirit. I think that trilogy or uh, franchise. Right, the adventures of Mutt Williams. We were all clamoring mm. for it. I we wanted I it. Really was. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not joking Truly. when I say no. that. This is I real. This is real. And when I watch it now, I get sad because like, he gets the hat at the end. It blows to him, and I just can't help but feel mm-hmm. like what an opportunity was lost. And look, like people are saying, like, why were there aliens? What are you talking about? Aliens. Fifties were alien crazy. Okay, first off, in the second movie, there was a guy pulling hearts out. In the first yes. movie, there was, there was they, they um, get zapped by God lightning. They get Everybody exactly get by God lightning. Why can't there be aliens, it's especially with all this? Exactly, especially with all this news about UFO cover up, Caleb. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think they were they knew what they were talking about. I had no problem with the aliens. I, I definitely don't like the CGI, but really, there's like two or three bad. But it was CGI like 2008. Scenes. Yeah, it's, and compared yeah. to what we get now, I mean, mm. compare this to a Ant Man, and it's like <laughs> you don't need no, to tell me it's not yeah. even close in bad CGI use. And Ant Man, no. I mean, nobody liked Ant Man compared to one of the Thor movies people liked. That was yeah, not very good. Anyway, <laughs> we'll get to my last four. We got a lot of thoughts on indie. Maybe more of them coming where we can really sit down and dive in and whoever wants to stick yeah. around can. We'll stick to keeping we'll stick to the theme the stick to the show. Last four now. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> That's yeah. We have we have we have a we have a process. We, we trust the process here. We trust the pro we go on re- tangents, but tangents are good. People like tangents. I mean Indy could be hours just on that. Especially once we get Angelo, and Angelo's got some words on it. He told me he's like hyped to dive into it. So. Angelo would crack the whip. Oh yeah, no pun intended. Amen. Yeah. Volcano, nineteen ninety-seven, yes. directed by Mick 
Jackson, very close to a cool name. Super this close. Is starring Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones and Hetchy Gabby Lee Hoffman. It's a Tommy Lee joint starring Anne Hetchy. It's also starring Don okay. Cheadle, who's awesome. Keith David yeah. is in this. I'm trying to remember. I think those are the the big names uh, that I recognize. This is just a childhood favorite. It's about a volcano in Los Angeles. It there's an okay. earthquake and it breaks. Uh, uh, okay, a fault under the La Brea tar pits, and so then a volcano erupts where the La Brea tar pits are, and chaos mm. ensues. You get to see lots of Los Angeles be burnt down and lava in los angeles it's really fun have you seen this no i haven't when when i saw that you logged it i thought this was um because i think in the 70s weren't there wasn't there like a lot uh, like a pretty long streak of disaster movies wasn't there like yeah, i know um, in 1970 i think there's one called earthquake that i've watched i think you're right it's like very yeah. this it's like la has an earthquake and you just see la burnt and fall you know crumbling i was surprised to see that this was from the 90s there were a few of these too there's also i think this came out the same year close to a film called dante's peak with pierce brosnan and that was also about a volcano erupting and people trying to stop it totally different that one's set in normal volcano places but i remember them being Mm. close and as a kid feeling like i got them confused a lot but i like both of them i love disaster movies i love 90s disaster movies like independence day armageddon all of those yeah real quick yeah so there's an earthquake and then the volcano comes from the ground yeah so essentially you know there's the fault line down the middle of california who doesn't san andreas right yeah i think it's basically the idea same same idea of like there being an earthquake that cracks california off and the west coast Mm. falls into the ocean Except okay. in this one, it cracked a hole in the tectonic plates that are on top of the lava. So okay. then it comes out and, and starts, yeah, busting. That sounds that sounds busting. Yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> LA's busting. <laughs> bustin'. It's really fun. Tommy Lee Jones is great in it. There's just some great stuff. There's a great scene where Anne Hetchy, she's a scientist and she's trying to figure out the flow of lava. So she gets a basketball and sets it in the middle of the street and lets it roll. And that's how they figure out where the lava is going to flow. And that mm. always has stuck with me. And so I, was, I love seeing that again. Practical science. My next movie was a 1978 Italian film directed by Luigi Cuzzi called Star Crash. Um. <laughs> and this is Star Wars in Italy. Interesting. I didn't know this was Italian. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, bought by a producer named Roger Corman, who would buy low budget, terrible movies and release them in the U.S., distribute them in the U.S. He also directed and produced movies as well. But I think he was a pretty prolific buyer of bad movies. And people would know if you see a Roger Corman produced movie, it's probably going to be some like great. Are those low budget film? Is that canon? Are those canon films? Is that his it production? Could, it very well could be. Those are linked in my head. Let's see. Details. I, well, this was under New World Pictures. Okay. Because I, I recognize the name. Yeah, canon I, I was... know is in the same ballpark of like... I think canon might be bad like... Bad 
movie like right good, bad movies. i think that may be like israel i think they might be israeli owner or hmm. they're um, the ones who I did think. an 80s spider-man or 90s spider-man film they had the rights oh, really? in like the 90s that's pretty badass actually and then just like never did anything with it but had a few projects that were in production okay so you said italian star wars yeah is that correct so how are you saying it just because star wars was in the zeitgeist or or is it pretty like um is it like a carbon copy just every it's just an italian flair roger corman also made some early marvel movies as well before after canon did just a fun fact i just read like what i I think it was spider-man but i'd have to look there's a famous captain america movie i think from the 70s or 80s where captain america wears a motorcycle helmet the entire movie and he might kill people i think he has a gun too um Who so if it you captain check america that you said oh i see it yeah 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 <laughs> he looks crazy that's like the screenshot on yeah. the article mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy ass face because this is 78 so it was right after new hope yeah exactly so so when i say italian this was made in italy and mm-hmm. it was as far as i can tell a direct cash in on star wars so basically yeah Italian filmmakers are like, let's make our Star Wars and, and make some money. It's from what I can tell. Christopher Plummer is crazy. In this. He plays the Emperor, who's good. You get confused, yeah. but the Emperor's a good guy in this. Oh. He's in it a decent amount. Like I thought it was gonna be one scene where he pops up and like Obi-Wan and has a message and then disappears. But he comes right. back and he's in the finale quite a bit, and it was really great. And he was he was good. He was try he was trying, it seemed, or at least he's just such a great actor, I couldn't tell he did, was phoning it in. Is the Emperor so the Emperor's the good guy in this movie? He's one of the good guys. Yeah. So the Emperor's oh, daughter is and actually the Luke Skywalker of this movie is Baywatch's own. Wow. D. Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. That's right. That's crazy. And there's another young guy who I thought was the Luke Skywalker, but he was actually the Obi-Wan because he dies off right at the beginning of the Mm. third act. And then David Hasselhoff is the big hero that gets the Emperor's (laughs) daughter and saves her. And then the Emperor is like, thank you, David Hasselhoff. You're like the king of the universe, basically. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. It was actually some really great uh, miniature work that was really bad, but fun. And then, yeah. I appreciated how they did the stars in this. Usually when people do stars because of star Wars, it's, or at least back in this time nowadays with CGI, they'll get very colorful, but it was like black and white stars. They had very, a lot of colorful lights for the stars. Mm. So whenever it was a ship over starry sky, it'd be like red and orange and blues. So it was fun. It was colorful, really bad. I don't remember the story much at all, but I enjoyed it. David Hasselhoff's character is named Simon. Yeah, that's the big hero. There's a guy named Thor. I didn't even remember. His character's name was Thor? Character's name was Thor, played by Robert (laughs) Tessier. That's awesome. Hmm. He was a stuntman. Cool. That's really Mm -hmm. awesome. Right when you logged this, I was like, can't wait. Can't wait to ask questions about this movie. It's a cool... Star Crash is a cool name for a movie. And it really does have some some cool stuff like the bad guy's ship again, who's not the emperor. It's evil Count Zarthon. His ship is a big hand that's 
like mm. an open palm and then when he's ready to fight it closes like a fist that's but cool. it's a ship it's huge it was that's fun. awesome so cool movie i'd recommend it if you like low budget sci-fi that's ripping off star wars how did you watch it it was on youtube movies i love For YouTube free? movies mm-hmm. added watch listed easy watch list that some alternate titles for this, The Adventures of Stella Star, Female Space Invaders, Stern, Im, Duel, lots of other languages for names. So I'm guessing this got released like everywhere. Did you ever listen to the band Stella Star? No, not at all. Pretty good indie band. Kind of uh, to know. forgotten heroes of the indie scene. Oh, interesting. Your next movie. Yeah, this was on theme. Again, I've tried to be mindful of our main movie. This is Roman Polanski's first color film starring him and Sharon Tate called The Fearless Vampire Killers or Dance of Vampires, depending on what website you're on. Dance of the Vampires for sure. I like both of them. I think they're pretty great names. This is from 1967. Like I said, Roman Polanski co-stars or stars. He's one of the leads in this as a young man. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's supposed to be like more of like a comedy horror. Hmm. I didn't find it very funny. Was it intentionally? It's supposed to be funny. Okay. Yeah, there's some I laughed at some points. Like I did, I'm not saying it wasn't funny. It was more just like peculiar, right. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. where i was enjoying yeah. watching it but rarely did i like laugh mostly i was just kind of huh that's interesting like weird there's also a really creepy scene where he's under a table with sharon tate and he just starts to pull down her dress she's not hasn't even said yeah. hi to him she's not even looking at him he's just sitting there staring at her and then starts to pull down her dress out of nowhere and she like slaps no. him no. and then he makes this face that's like what like what are you gonna do like we're not like you know what are you gonna do but like what's a guy to do and i was yeah. like what is what is that huh. like what casual sexual yeah. assault he wrote that in the script i guess did he write this movie he or directed this movie it. he co-wrote it he okay. co-wrote and directed right right, right. i wonder <clears> if this is yeah i wonder if this is when they met because right it is you're yeah. nodding yeah okay so i did a little research on this to give some context for chinatown but they did meet and on this once movie. once upon a time in Hollywood. As always, I was going to say, this might be our thing is that every episode will connect things to once upon a time. Ooh, that's good. Or just, yeah, I like that. Star Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, who are also featured heavily in Once Upon a Time. This is the film they meet when Steve McQueen is at the party in Once Upon a Time explaining the love triangle of Jay Sebring, Roman Polanski, and Sharon right. Tate. He mentions that Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski went to Europe and made a movie and came back engaged and Jay Sebring was out. This is the movie they went to and made together that broke That's up great. the Jay Sebring wow. relationship. He actually said when the filming started, she was really bad yeah. and complained about her a lot. He was not a fan. He didn't even want to cast her. She was going to cast another. This is Roman? Roman on Sharon Tate, Yeah. He seems to have a lot of problems with actresses in his movies, which we, we can get into, too. Yeah, I was going to say, what else? Um, 
Well, well just with Faye. This. Yeah. yeah go oh, ahead. Faye Dunaway. Oh, interesting. I do want to hear more about that. Didn't like her at first. Didn't think she was very good. She said, he said she got, she picked things up very quickly, basically. And by the end, he really liked her and they got, you know, married and everything. But I enjoyed it. It was great. If there's any other ones, because I did watch a few other fun ones, or is there any one other you want to touch one. on? Well, I'll just say uh, after we watched Paper Moon last week, I was really mm. loving that, and I did end up watching What's Up Doc and Young Frankenstein. Oh, What's Up Doc nice. is the follow up to Paper or the the movie that the predecessor to Paper Moon by Peter Bogdanovich with mm. Ryan O'Neill that we talked about last week, and then Young Frankenstein is. Mel Brooks, but it also stars Madeline Kahn, and it came out just the year after Paper Moon. So with What's Up Doc, Paper Moon, and Young Frankenstein, you're getting three Madeline Kahn movies in a uh, year by year. Who is Madeline? What is Madeline Kahn? What's her character in Young Frankenstein? Because I've seen that movie. I haven't seen What's Up Doc, but is she a main person in Young Frankenstein? She is... In a few scenes, she's not one of the main okay. people. I believe she's like the love interest, but she ends up being the bride of Frankenstein by the end. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was great in it. She's great in all of them. I really, yeah. This uh, revisiting Paper Moon really made me re- reignite my interest in her performances. She's great. Be very yeah, fun. I love, her. I love her. I'm in love with her. Okay. And then I also watched Reptilicus, which was a monster movie from Ooh. 1961. Reptilicus? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of similar to like Star Crash. Just like super low budget, a lot of miniatures. Is it like a centipede monster? What is it? So it's a dragon, basically, but it's frozen in the ground. And some scientists are drilling to get core samples and they get flesh and blood. And so then they dig it up and they realize it's this big lizard dragon thing. And it's just like hibernating. So the it froze, but it's still alive. So then it thaws out and then starts attacking the city and they have to fight them. That's crazy. I'm looking at the poster right now. <laughs> it's a cool poster. That's what made me watch it. It is a really cool poster. It's tearing down the um Golden the Gate. Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. It's a lot of scientists in like empty white rooms where they're like talking about the theories about what the monster is. And then there's a lot mm-hmm. of military guys in empty white rooms who are saying they should like bomb it. And the scientists are like, you can't bomb it. It's ineffective. Yeah. Cause I, I guess the guy was, the scientist was saying that if you blow it up, all the little pieces will become new lizards. We just never learn, huh? We never no. learn from these things. We always think blowing up is the right. We have so many, movies that teach us there are other ways to deal with these types of problems right well that was a long-winded last four for me but there were some fun ones so thank you for letting me talk cut that out those. don't say that <laughs> okay cool i will um i guess we're only at 40 minutes that's pretty normal but yeah. i would like to take a quick break if that's cool i have to pee yeah perfect me too okay i'm gonna keep it up and running Hey guys, this is Tom with the sticker department. Big news for us. We have stickers now. That's a big deal for us in the sticker department, as it's all we do. In celebration of this, we're doing something crazy. We're going to give one to you if you want it. So just ask for it. Message us on our log at Instagram or comment. 
and let us know. But we're excited about these stickers. It is a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood art done by very talented at Sunflower Pop Shop on Instagram. We also have our logo also done by Sunflower Pop Shop. If you want one, the other, both, let us know. We'll figure it out. We'll make this work. I believe we'll figure it out. We need troops. We need troops in the army of Logit. Just go to Logit underscore pod, hit the follow button, and like every single post that you see. We rely on you. We rely on our listeners. And not only are you listeners, but you guys will technically be day oneers in the army of Logit. Now, I'm kind of sticking with this army metaphor, and I apologize. To say we sound like zealots. <laughs> and we command you. No. You guys, you can follow us on letterbox.com. We are Logit underscore podcast. Follow us on Letterboxd. Follow us on Instagram. And that's it for me. Also, rate and review us. Welcome back from the break. Did we do new promos this week? No, it'd probably be the same ones. I, I, I think. So, hope you enjoyed hearing those again. Maybe I'll switch. They're the still order good this week, so it's mm. different. That's a good idea. Moving on, we'll be hitting our main feature. This is Ian's pick this week. It's going to be Chinatown, 1974, starring Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, John Huston, which was very fun. Mm-hmm. Perry yeah. Lopez, John Hillerman, who was also in Paper Moon and What's Up Doc, which I thought was really fun. Paper Moon, he played the crooked cop whose brothers with the bootlegger. Well, what was he in Chinatown? In John Chinatown, Hillerman. he was Yell Burton, who took over the Department uh, of Water after oh, interesting. Maynard died, or Maynard, whatever his name was. Mulray. Mulnay. Mulray, Mulray. yeah. Oh, interesting. The mustache. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been popping up in a lot of movies lately for me. This was co-written by Roman Polanski along with Robert Town, who also wrote Mm -hmm. the first Mission Impossible. And this was shot by John A. Alonzo, who also shot The Magnificent Seven in 1960 and Mm. uncredited Stanley Cortez. And I don't know what else he did or why he's uncredited, but I just want to give him a shout out as well. Thank you, Stanley. He'll be credited on this podcast, goddammit. That's it. right. That's right. So, Ian, yeah. I really enjoyed this movie. Never seen it. I love it. Back to back. You... Why did I why pick you love it? it? When did you watch it first? I want to know your yeah. history with it. Okay, first I'll go into why I picked it. And it's really simple. And I think last week I referenced Canopy which is the library streaming service. And I was just kind of going through there because there are a lot of hidden gems and also just gem gems on that service. And I saw Chinatown and I haven't seen it since the last time I watched it was when I was living in California, which is more than 10 years ago. So it's been quite a while. It definitely left an imprint and it left an imprint on me and something that I maybe we can talk about later, but I think this movie is really rewarding on multiple viewings. I think you catch a lot. So I was really excited. It wasn't a movie that I was kind of apprehensive. I mean, there are some apprehensive things that we can talk about later, but no, just, I just remember loving it. And then when I, seeing it, I was like, this is, this was a fantastic movie. 
when I initially watched it about 10 years ago, that was me going through a phase of where I was kind of, I wanted to watch more movies that were set in still like what, what is like the wild West of Los Angeles, still like an up and coming city, still like people trying to, trying to like manifest destiny their way through, through, um, through building the city up. Yeah. Like I said, this movie just left a huge imprint on me and it's part of kind of like the film noir collective, which are movies that I also really intrigued me, like the big sleep or the Maltese Falcon, which was directed by John Huston. Crazy. Yeah. It was awesome to see him on the other side of the camera, but yeah, that was kind of the reason I just, I saw it and I was like, Oh, we have to talk about this movie. Cause I just, it just had such a visceral effect on me. What else did you ask? I kind of forgot every other question that you asked me. No, that sums it up well, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I just forgot what I asked too. So I wasn't able to call it back. That's cool. And that makes sense. John Houston being in this blew my mind. I didn't mm-hmm. realize it till after I'd watched the movie. And I was like, oh, duh. It looks like yeah. him. That makes total sense. Yeah. He was very good. He was really imposing and creepy so... and charming. Really great actor my favorite type of villain like the most confident okay i really want to talk about this let me let me get into the plot really fast so chinatown as you said before 1974 film directed by roman polanski it's a noir film that's set in 1937 in los angeles and private investigator jake giddis played by jack nicholson is hired to uncover evidence of infidelity by a woman claiming to be the wife of hollis mulray who is the chief engineer of the city's water department. However, as Jake delves deeper into the case, he discovers a complex web of corruption and deceit surrounding the city's water supply, involving wealthy landowners, shady business deals, and a shocking family secret. Doesn't that just get you going? And it lives up to the, the synopsis. The thing that I love about this movie is that each time Giddis thinks he's uncovering a truth it's just a slight layer of the onion you think the movie is going to be about one thing such as like these quote-unquote water wars which are happening in los angeles and then it just delves deeper and deeper as the movie goes i love it It, like i said before the more you watch this movie the more rewarding it is like just by plot uh character development just things like that it's i love this movie caleb it's fantastic it's a very incestuous movie, pun intended. Uh, yeah, that was good. Where there's just a lot of overlap and everybody's kind of intermingled. I love this scene where he finds out Cross and Mole, Mole Ray, Ray yeah. are partners. Mm-hmm. And right after we learned that her maiden name is Cross, that scene was just really fun. And I also just loved that scene with the secretary and just how annoying Jack Nicholson was being to her. You know what's cool, though, about that? And some of my favorite scenes, which we can touch on, is that so this is a movie that's based on film noir, which are kind of like hard boiled detective movies from the 40s and 50s. And there's a lot of um, characteristics about that movie, about those types of movies, that I should say, where like there's always like a narrative voiceover throughout the movie of the main characters kind of thoughts and feelings. There's like a femme yeah. fatale there is the main character who's normally the detective is like almost jaded and like knows everything. So it was almost like, what's the word? Not faded or not. Um, 
unfazed. And this movie like takes takes those takes those tropes and just flips them on their head. So I love like Jake Geddes. Geddes? Geddes? Whatever. Well, I was going to say that's a great question. I feel like that's a theme in the movie because I his name sometimes is pronounced Okay, Gitt. but here's the thing. Check this out, okay? Yeah, tell me. So his name in the movie is Jake Geddes. And when he is talking to John Huston's character, who was like the villain of the movie, very intimidating figure, and he keeps calling him Jake, Mr. Gitz. He's calling him Mr. Gitz. And you think as the viewer, yes, you think that, oh, this is an intimidation factor. Like he's just doing that to get under skin. Caleb, he literally did not know his last name. So throughout the movie, he kept calling him Mr. Gitz because he didn't he couldn't pronounce Geddes. John Houston, the actor. So that was literally just so this is a real behind. That's the just a mistake throughout insight. the whole movie. I thought that was so funny, but it works. It works in the context of the movie because you think like yeah. Like you were saying earlier, John Huston, who is, again, a director. So he, he directed The Maltese Falcon, Treasure of Sierra Madre, fantastic yeah. movies. But he's an amazing actor. Super imposing figure. So like stuff like that. I'm like, I love that. It like is just works so well within the movie. What I was saying about Jake's character, the detective, Jack Nicholson's character. So he he does like detective work in this movie. That's all like practical and realistic, which I love. Like, I love that because it, this movie feels <laughs> mm-hmm. really grounded as opposed to other like film noir movies where like the detective in those movies will just kind of figure it out on a whim. It seems like he'll like, he's like mm-hmm. the hero of the movie. Right. So it'll regardless of, of the issue, they're going to end up figuring it out. But so in this movie, he gets a tip from fake Mulray's wife, right. That he, that he's cheating on Love her. That. So he's tailing the chief engineer of the city's war department hollis let's call him hollis yeah. and in order to kind of figure out where he's been throughout the night he gets he has a bunch of of stopwatches and he sets them and he puts them underneath the tire of each car so when the car goes over he knows how, how long they've been there it's just stuff like that they left. yeah it's really awesome i love that kind of stuff it, like it's just really good character detail. And then another thing real quick, he's tailing Faye Dunaway's character who ends up being the real wife of Hollis Mulray. And in order to tail her at night, cause he's following her at night, he punches the, the tail light. So he just knows. So you can just see, you know, they have like two different colors of the tail light. Anyway, stuff like that. I was just like, that's perfect. I love that. Anyway. And I love how, it's never explained explicitly. Yeah. It la- allows you to kind of follow what he's doing by paying attention. Exactly. Like, I don't think they ever explained the stopwatches or this. You just know because you watch and you're like, ah, so we can identify her car more easily. I mean, they'll give you like visual cues of like why he's doing yeah, that. Like, it's the all next there. Thing, but it's like, yeah, but they never explain it where there's like some kid. He's like, well, we do this kid. This is an old trade secret. Exactly. Like no like tongue yeah. in cheek or like winking at the camera. It's per, it's you just get to watch him in his element and doing his job, yeah. which I love movies where they let you just experience somebody's like job or mm-hmm. their life. Before we delve more into it, this is your first time watching it, right? Or it was what did what were your first impressions of the movie? She's my daughter, sister, oh. daughter, sister, smack, 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 daughter, sister. Can I, can I can I tell you something else about that scene or add a little Please. fact? She told Faye Dunaway's character told Jack Nicholson slap me because this isn't working. Originally, it was just them yelling at each other, 
and the scene just wasn't working. So she told Jack, wow. slap me. Like it was like, powerful. Dude. It, it looked painful. <sighs> I was really flinching every time he did it. Yeah, it was rough. And he's just go- he's reaching. Like mm-hmm. it is not just like a smack. It is a full Open palm. Yeah. Palm punch. Yeah. <laughs> that was rough. So I guess to explain that, the big reveal at the end of the movie about why Faye Dunway's character she's very shady and you kind of get the sense she's maybe involved in the murder of her husband exactly it kind of seems like it mm -hmm. yeah throughout the movie go ahead no just throughout the movie there's like these threads of like there's something deeper because at the beginning of the movie jack nicholson's character is trying to figure out like a water dispute or um hold on it's there's a dam they want to build correct yeah and there's a big dispute because Harris, was it? Hollis. Hollis Mulray says that the stone can't support the dam and it'll break and flood a valley. And then there's Cross, who we find out later is really the guy driving the well, dam. They're business he's just partners. a rich guy. Ba- they Facebook were, or they yeah, still, they were. I guess after he died, they were when he died though. That I quite wasn't sure. I believe I they were about. still. Yeah, I believe they okay. were. Yeah. So basically, and I'm basically the water dispute was totally disconnected from the Faye Dunaway stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of like the thrust into the movie. And then, like I said before, like once he started investigating that he started delving deeper and deeper into these more like personal problems between Noah cross Hollis Mulray and then Evelyn cross Mulray, who is the wife of Hollis daughter of Noah. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. Like I said, like this, this movie does reward you from on multiple viewings because you can see her character every time that Jake Giddis brings up Noah cross to Evelyn. She gets very flinchy at one point she drops the charges because yeah. she just she just wants this to go away she doesn't want to be re-traumatized once he tries by to this. pull in once he tries to pull in the dad or the exactly. husband she's exactly. like never mind i'll drop him yeah go and away. that makes it look shady because you think I oh you ha- right you assume that she was involved in the murder of her husband and yeah. then as the movie goes on you realize that wasn't the case at all so and she really was just a victim of all of it for the most yeah. part right i don't think she really did anything wrong no no, no, no. She was yeah, complete, horrible. And then, dude, yeah, that last scene, really awful. But that's the cool thing I like about her. Um, like, so she is, she would be, the, like, she is, quote unquote, the femme fatale in this movie, but she is not, right? Like, she has agency over her character. She's, she's making decisions. She's, like, trying to control her life, unlike movies from, or noir movies from the 40s and 50s, where they're kind of just there as, femme fatale means like it translates to deadly female right like they're kind of just there for um they're kind of a trap not yeah purpose, yeah yeah but they they're they're the lure into this dangerous underworld right but yeah yeah like her her character tragic tragic ending to her character when the horn's going you knew and right you know what that means in a movie is that yeah. there's somebody passed out on it and then just like my the math in my head where I hear the horn, I'm like, okay, somebody's dead. I'm like, mm-hmm. she was driving. I remember her telling the other girl to close the door. Yeah. And then you start hearing Sophie, the daughter, wailing. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, no. And it just, it really 
was so effective. It was out of nowhere. It felt very shocking. And she's like getting like at that point, it's over kind of. Right. And it's just the cops, right? It's right. Escobar, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the cops. And you're just like it was mm-hmm. pointless. So that wasn't the original scene either. So interesting. Tell me, tell me. The so the writer of this movie is like you said, Robert Town, who's a pretty acclaimed film writer. So when he wrote this movie originally, the ending was going. It was going to take. It wasn't going to take place in Chinatown. Um, Faye Dunaway was going to shoot Noah Cross, and but they were going to get away. And Roman Polanski was the one that said no, because first off, it needs to be set in Chinatown as like kind of like a full circle for for Geddes, yeah. because um, real quick, so Jake Giddis is a private detective. He used to be a cop in the Chinatown district, which was notorious for kind of like. Um, I don't, what was it notorious for? They keep they keep talking about Chinatown as almost like a. It's this haunting background for Nicolas Cage, and it seems at one point he Jack says Nicholson. it was hard. Oh my gosh, I wish Nicolas Cage was in this. Pretty badass. At one point he says something about like Chinatown affected all of us. Yeah. So it sounded like there was some sort of big event, and so I don't know traumatizing. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah. So that. But then Roman Polanski steps in, and says, "No, this needs to be." Like it needs to basically end with Chinatown with fate. Yeah. Ending in Chinatown fade fade Dunaway's character, Evelyn dying and the essentially the bad guys winning because in that instance, Jack Nicholson, God, fuck, hold on real quick. No, you're fine. No, no. I need to either pick Jack Nicholson or Jake oh. Giddis. <laughs> Let's stick with Giddis. Okay. So I'm gonna take it from the top. Cool. Okay, so yeah, so Roman Polanski insisted that it ends in Chinatown. Evelyn Cross Mulray dies. She gets shot. She does uh, She does end up shooting um, Noah Cross, but to no effect, right? And he just wanted that nihilistic ending because, Caleb, this was like five years after Sharon Tate was stabbed by Charles mm-hmm. Manson. He left the country. I think he did one movie before this, before before Chinatown. And then came back to do this movie. And this is kind of like his LA. Like this is his version where like people die. This is the reality of this city, which I was like, dang, that's dark, but it's to me a way better ending than a happy, like a happy ending. Right. Cause I feel like not to keep harping on this, but like a lot of noir films from back in the day, they do end with the hero, with the detective figuring it all out, catching the criminal and that's it. Right. Yeah. So I think a way more effective ending, but tragic. Well, and you mentioning the Sharon Tate murder, Mm. possibly like influencing the vibe of this and LA being this place of death and bad people winning. It was a really good ending. I wouldn't have liked it as much with the happy ending. It would have felt much more of like a generic film. And I think what was so impactful to me was it's, about two hours and 10 minutes, I believe. And for about an hour and 40 minutes of the movie, you are uncovering the story, right? You're uncovering the water stuff with Mulray and cross and you're uncovering not as much, but Jack Nicholson and who he is. And then what's going on with Faye Dunaway. And there's this huge Mm. web and it keeps getting deeper and deeper, like you're saying. And then, 
she gets shot. Somebody fires a few bullets and kills her. And that's it. Like you get this sense in the end that Jack Nicholson's just going to have to move on because ultimately cross is just going to shut this down. Like Faye Dunaway before she gets killed says he owns the police. And so nothing's going to happen to him. Like he's just going to, he's probably going to get his reservoir. He's going to bring yeah. the Valley and incorporate oh, it right. into Los Angeles. Like he's winning. Like he just keeps, he lost his daughter, but it's, it was really heavy. And it just kind of, it was like a, an interesting way of saying how, killing her kind of effectively did erase all of her story oh like she's not going to get any justice the daughter's Mm going to end up getting raised by cross now no doubt i got that sense big time that he's just going to take her and probably continue to do bad things because that's what he wanted initially right he wanted her back in his life for whatever reason yeah and he kept saying faye dunaway was like troubled and lost and so he probably is just going to chalk it up to her not you know being an unstable person and that's why she died I was so I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about so at the beginning of the movie, you kind of get a good idea of the character of Jake Giddis. He's like in a white crisp suit. He's talking. Yes, he's talking to a client about a marital affair that his wife is having. And he's like very blase about it. Right. Like he's kind of just like like he's very good at his job, but also at the same time, it's kind of just that to him. It's just a job. He's but as he's. But as he's working on this case, he's getting more like emotionally, physically invested into it. And you can kind of see him. And they were talking about how his his clothing kind of changes into a darker shade as the movie goes. It was really interesting. But at the very last scene, like his whole his entire face when he sees Evelyn, who, by the way, horrifying. She has a, a hole through her eye. It was disgusting. Caleb. Gout. Wild. Ju- yeah, it was really um, he's just distraught he's like he like lost all he's yeah he's done he's it looks like a guy who's just broke right and the movie ends with him literally walking in like he's like walking out of chinatown into black like him and his well and the freaking escobar who kills Mm -hmm. the girl yeah has the nerve to say do your friend a favor and get him out of here right it's like doing him a favor yeah yeah you're lucky jack nicholson i mean and i couldn't even tell I knew Jack Nicholson liked Faye Dunaway, but was he even like in love with her? Really? I could, I didn't never got that. Yeah, sense, I don't know. But more just that, like he felt responsible for the case. I almost felt like it was a professional failure more than hmm. like a love loss. Like obviously he cared about her life. Sure. But like he, he felt like, like you mentioned the beginning, he's very good at his job and he's very on top of things. One thing I really liked about this movie hmm. was how often they talk about contracts every scene that he talks to somebody he's like my secretary will get a contract to you and it just made me feel like okay this is a guy who's buttoned up like sometimes detectives too can be like shady where they're like let's do this off the books because i don't want but he was always like no i'm going to be above board when he thought faye dunaway was a murderer he Mm. calls escobar and he's like come here i think i got you know i got something for you and until he's thoroughly convinced it's not her does he let her go and he only lets her go because he thinks it's the right thing to do not because he's trying to be shady or criminal or get away with anything or get the girl and help the girl he likes he's just trying to get justice so he really is this moralistic character right who loses and like loses in such a major way that this whole movie is erased in one bullet like one murder Mm. erases his whole case and his whole attempt for justice. and there's so many opportunities or maybe i'm wrong but i feel there's so many opportunities for him to just like get out of the case right kind of just to drop it 
yet he persists yeah. and he delves deeper and deeper. That's interesting about the uh, more of a business. I don't. Yeah, the business relationship rather than like a romantic one between him and Evelyn. Yeah, and it's still personal. Like, but but that business relationship yeah. was so important, so sacred to him that he feels like he just like utterly failed. Like, yeah. What's there's the last line while he's in shock after Evelyn's been murdered and he's standing behind Escobar, he says only the smallest possibility or something like mm. that. Do you remember? I don't. Only the smallest. He says he just like mumbles something where he goes, Oh, only the smallest possibility. And that's when Escobar looks at him. He's like, you know what? Do your friend a favor and right. get him out of here. Right. So he says, he says as little as possible, as little as possible. Is there any, does it say what that line is referencing from the film? I'm going to look right now. Let's see if we can find it real fast. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Um, people are referencing the forget it. Jake, it's Chinatown line, which is not yeah, the one we're no. trying to. Ah, here we go. Go ahead. Apparently, earlier Jake says that when he worked for the district attorney in Chinatown, he was told to do as little as possible, implying that he was warned to mostly look the other way and avoid trouble. Oh, interesting. So okay. it's just him relearning that lesson in Chinatown. Wow. You do as little as possible. So he got invested. He got. He That's right. Yeah. Rule. No, yeah, it's right. Because like I said, that first scene were, again, really awesome. Like just kind of credit to the screenplay is it kind of it gives you exactly who this character is just by like dialogue. Yeah. You just don't you don't need too much. So him interacting with this character named Curly, who presents these these <laughs> photographs Curly. or should I say Jake Giddis provides Curly with these photos of his wife sleeping with another man. But he and he is like kind of blase about it, but he's also very like. He has a good bedside manner. Right. But he's almost like, just don't worry about it. Like let sleeping dogs lie. I think he was what he says. Like, just forget about it. Like yeah. he's very much like job is done. Don't have to think about it anymore. Right. Yes. Detached. He's detached, like yeah. healthily detached from his work where he's like, this is my business. I'm, yeah. Yeah. And, and then. So now that we're talking about it, how that plays into as little as possible line says a lot about his character, right? Where he did have that kind of approach where he's like, I'm going to give as little as possible emotionally to these jobs. Like this is a job. And then by the end he gets emotionally involved and gets burned. And so it's like that cynical rule from Chinatown ends up ringing true. You know, now that we're talking about it, I would like to watch the movie again to kind of see where it clicks. Right. Yeah. Kind of see where the change is. One of my favorite things in this movie is Jake Giddis has to wear a big nose bandage throughout the whole movie. I love that they did. Glad that. you brought this up. I love that they so did what, it. What was really interesting to me mm -hmm. too with this is he receives that wound that forces him to wear the nose, the iconic nose bandage mm -hmm. from the director roman polanski that's right uh, as a guest star in this role as a gangster and so he is threatening him after he's like a Giddis. thug of noah cross because because jake yes, is he's a water a little, department thug he's getting a little too close to un un 
unraveling something and they're there to kind of put a stop to him. Like, yeah. Yeah. So one thing I thought I understood was that they are wasting water to continue to be in a drought to help sell the reservoir dam they want to create. And so they're creating a false drought to create public support for the dam. And so that is a real crime happening that we think is connected to the murder and turns out to be pretty much disconnected or unrelated to Faye Dunaway. It is connected to the murder. It is connected to the murder, yeah, because um, Mulray was very much against kind of uh, against um, yes. was it building a reservoir or a dam? It was the dam. And it was the dam. Mulray is the one who said that the ground couldn't hold it and it would flood the valley and kill people. Right. Yeah. Cause he referenced like, I've done this before a bunch of people died cause the dam broke. I don't yeah. want to do this again. Right. So um, also guy who seemed to be acting morally and ended up dead with no justice. Also, I think he's based off a real person too. Something I found out, which I thought was cool, was so these water wars were like a real thing, but they actually happened. They actually happened 20 years before the date of this movie. So I think historically those water wars actually happened in, I want to say like the 1910s around that time. And some of these characters, at least the Mulray character, I believe is based off a guy named, I forgot his first name, but I think his um, his. Last name being Mulholland. This is not important, but just thought that was oh, there like is some, Mulholland Road. I think so. There's just some historical hi, historical um, parallels. There are some historical parallels from this to to real life. One yeah. thing this movie reminded me of. I'd love to jump in on now. Inherent Vice, one of my favorite movies to rewatch. Also based on old LA. This is based in late sixties, I believe right Mm. around once upon a time inherent vices and a big storyline in that is a land developer who is wiping out neighborhoods in Los Angeles to build new cookie cutter home development. Yeah, that's right. So like Chavez Ravine, they use as an example of families being flushed out to build Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, which is a real thing. They use imminent domain and Mm. you can see video or pictures of people just literally being dragged out of their homes to build Dodger Stadium, which is crazy. So L.A. has a lot a a weird history of land and resource abuse and overexpansion, right? A lot of people were moving there. It's fun seeing that theme running through different old LA movies and kind of seeing these dots connect where it's like, okay, we have this like land grab by all these land developers. We have this guy who's controlling water and is basically going to force into existence what is now, I believe, the San Fernando Valley. I believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love seeing the city growing and how it went from being a desert town to a flourishing, one of the largest metropolitan areas in the world. It's it's crazy. Or in the country, maybe not the world. And I think that's why I loved um, John Houston, John Houston's Noah Cross, because he is the villain, but he is also very much, I think I said this earlier, but like very much manifest destiny. Like I'm going yes. to build up this city. You can get in my way. I will kill you, but that will not yeah, stop me from, because he's, he's the con. Why he's would the, you do it, Ian? Why would you do this? Why would you do this? What do you say? I don't remember. <laughs> The future. The future, boy. The future. And then he just moves on. He's like, well, that's awesome. Because I 
I love that. And then you, and then that's, it really was a weird moment again, where as a viewer, I was conflicted internally. Cause I go, Oh, this is really cool. This is how like the San Fernando Valley started. That's interesting. And then I'm like, Oh yeah. And this is the murder villain, incest rapist. Of right. The movie, no. Yeah. He's the villain. Yeah. Awful. He, person. he is a guy who got, got it done. And I don't know how real it is, but it did. I did have a moment of conflict, but definitely. there, but he also wasn't the type of villain that was, like winking at the camera, twirling the mustache. Yes. Like I am the villain, like, like over the top. He was just an overly confident man who was extremely rich, could probably punch your face off and just like extremely intimidating. And actually at the end of the yeah. movie, the way, so he, when he's confronting Jake Giddis, you can, the way they film it, the way they shoot it, John Houston is like towering over, over Jake yeah. Giddis. It's like, extremely imposing and you're like yeah this man is terrifying so i love he that is. and i i just like i like a villain who who thinks what they're doing is for the good of humanity and nothing will stop will not nothing will stop them from getting what they want i kind of i it's something that i think an audience can not not relate to but kind of like um it is kind of relatable i think that's an okay way to say it just like true to lie i don't know it's not yeah yeah and it's fun because his intimidation is almost because he doesn't need to be intimidating Mm. like for context he has i believe like a southern drawl in this he's like a texas kind of a cool thing about his character too is that he is like like his clothing he has like a sash and he wears for a belt like he's a man who's traveled like he's probably been down south however many times oh, yeah like he's just like a, did he did he have an accent i can't remember i could tell now. yeah i think there was something there in yeah. my mind he had a southern accent he kind of reminded me of like the kfc colonel sure but it's like as if it's like the kind of guy who's gotten so powerful and rich that he doesn't need to be intimidating like he doesn't need to try to make you scared of him because he's like oh, i'll just kill you if if i need to like i don't care if you're scared of me i'll just make you do what i want or kill you well and, that's and like it's really powerful like you're saying the quote that you're fun the quote that you just said where Jack Nicholson is like, why are you doing like, how much are you worth? Like, why are you doing this? You yeah, have $10 million. Have, he's like, <laughs> yeah, he like scoffs. He's like, he more. laughs at him. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. More than that. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and he says like, are you like you, you have the best food. You don't have to what buy else anything. Could you want? Yes. Exactly. And that's when he says yes. the future, what else could which you is eat? like, what else could you wear? Ugh. Inherent vice just reminded me of a lot. The water wars. Also, just the vibe, the way L.A. is represented. You mentioned this last week, how you love this movie because it's an L.A. movie and you miss L.A. It reminded me of L.A. I knew like there was something just about seeing people's backyards and seeing these little apartment condos that was super nostalgic for me. And I really loved it. And there was something about this that was just that felt very sincere and like grounded and just lots of like backyards and lots of people working in in yards and and people like working every I don't know, it just very alive. And and, uh, yeah, I think that the best thing you can like this movie is just grounded, right? So everything just feels very real and lived in. There's a movie I love called L.A. Confidential which is also it's set in like 1950s LA I think. I think we talked about that in podcast episode number 2 or 1. Okay. Yeah, and like it, the difference is Kevin that Spacey, that movie problematic. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> that man. movie feels like a little bit more like 
not clean, but like a little bit more cinematic. This one just feels like Chinatown feels a lot more raw a lot. And that could also just be like, there's tw- a 20 year difference between the two movies, a lot more gritty, but yeah, that th- this is my favorite LA period. There's a video game I used to play called LA noir, which is set around this yeah. time. Like this exact same vibe. I that's the one that's famous for the bad guilty faces. Are you supposed to guess if somebody's <laughs> he's like, guilty or not? Right? He's like, try yeah. to guess. Yeah, when they're just off. all facial expressions. Yeah, like li- would never happen. Like, you lots don't... of great memes of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing that occurred to me watching this was the great use of the background. We talked about that a lot in Paper Moon. How there's deep frame you called it you found an actual word for it but basically where they utilize the background and most of the frame will be in focus and everything like background and foreground lots of great scenes where things in this are happening in the background that you can kind of follow there's a great scene where he runs into the farmers and they beat him up yes Love that scene. And there's this hilarious part where he's trying to tell them who he is and he's got the paper and he has the paper he pulls out and he hands it to the old farmer. Yeah. And then he calls them like yokers or Okies. something. Okies. Yodels. Yodels. Okies. Okies. And then they beat him up and they just really start kicking his ass. Are you about to say the, the back same thing? That I in have the background, the old farmer guy just is <laughs> reading the paper while his sons beat up the beat up Jack Nickel, beat up Giddis. And it just cracked me up because he doesn't even pay. He doesn't yeah. even flinch when the boys are doing what the boys got to do. Okay. And he's like, yeah, he's going to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that, I have some in the background. That's what that was the big point. I just thought it was hilarious. The layer joke. Okay. So I have that written down because I love that. But I also have <laughs> written down is that the the head farmer, the guy on the horse says yeah. empty out his pockets. Right. And they get all this stuff out. Uh, and one of the guys and. I just caught this. I thought it was so funny. I had to rewind it to make sure it actually happened. But he empty. He grabs a hank or like a neckerchief, a handkerchief from Jack Nicholson, and wipes his head with it, and then drops it on the ground. <laughs> like he uses it. I thought that was so funny. It was just like a that quick little even, moment. Yeah, that's hilarious. It's so good. He just takes lots it. of great. Yes, and lots of great details like that where people are just like human. There was another scene that mm. stood out to me where. He's talking to the clerk at the Hall of Records who's got pimples all over his face and super uptight. And he asks him for a ruler to help him read, which he uses just to rip out a page of the book, which is hilarious, too. And then the guy, while he's looking for his ruler, opens up his desk and looks for it and then doesn't see it. So he opens up the desk wider and then finds it. That's a detail that you have to plan that either th- that actor was smart enough to add a little detail for real improv. Like he literally couldn't see it. Yeah. It could have, or it was Roman Polanski setting it up to say, put it in deeper and look for it for a minute because it just created a sense of realism. Cause in a movie, when somebody's reaching for money in their pocket and they reach in and pull out the money and then just hand it off. Yeah. Can't Never stand happened. it. It's like when people go to a bar and order a beer like they're like just I, non- don't say what or what yes. or just like just get me a beer yeah. if i'm the bartender i'm like what what, what beer do you want right on tap a bottle do you yeah. want it in a glass totally so i really appreciated that detail really rewatchable because there's so much going on 
and there's so many little things like just even talking now, I keep thinking about details that I want to revisit. So I'm like, why did that happen? Like, actually, I actually have no idea what that was about. And like, there must be a, a clue that I could find. Something I was listening to a podcast on about this movie was they were saying how you can there's water throughout the movie, not just not just like the main kind of thrust of them trying to figure out like why the water is getting dumped down to the ocean. <laughs> things like that but like you can hear mm-hmm. like there's a scene where giddis is at the corner's office and you can just hear water dripping there's like little scenes where water is just like kind of in the background almost like haunting the movie right like water kill like people are the he almost drowns he gets like caught well, in people drown mulray drowns um yeah someone else drowns. they talk about salt water versus fresh water a lot right the salt water kills the grass and the 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 gardener's always talking about the salt water being bad for the grass. I just thought it was interesting. I'm like, oh, that's like an interesting fact that like only pays off if you watch it a couple more times. It's just like, oh, you can like audibly hear. Well, I wonder if there's more of a theme about it being in a desert, if that plays more oh, maybe, into the yeah. themes of the movie. And like the fact that they're always talking about water and around hearing water, but we're also in a desert yeah. where there isn't water. Mm-hmm. One note I realized a great detail that just really great layered storytelling. And I didn't understand it till the end, Mm -hmm. but I did notice it. There's a scene when Jack Nicholson is having the guy from the beginning of the movie, whose wife was cheating on him. Oh, he helps him Jack Nicholson get away from the police when they're, he, he tricks them. He has a, he says he has Faye Dunaway in a house and he has the police drive him there. And then he's like, let me go in first and have a minute with her. Cause you're talking about Curly be better. Curly. Yeah. 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 So Curly helps him get away at the beginning mm-hmm. or in that scene. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, Curly can give me a ride. He's like, mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. So when Curly's helping him get away, he's ducking and there's a shot that goes through the window. We we don't see the shot happen, but when we go back to the shot of Jack Nicholson, he sits up and there's a bullet hole in the window right where his head would have been. Oh, so if he wasn't bending down, he would have right. gotten shot right in the head in that scene. And I was like, ooh, that feels like ominous foreshadowing. Oh, foreshadowing. Wow. Yes. And then what happens in the finale, Faye Dunaway gets shot from behind, just as Jack Nicholson would have if he wasn't hiding in that scene. And so I thought it was gonna I thought it was telling me that Jack Nicholson's gonna get shot in the head by the end of the movie, but it was actually a, a twist. And somebody thought about that because you have to put the bullet hole there and you have to choose where to put the bullet hole. So, wow, I didn't even think about that. But real quick before we leave Curly, because so Curly was sure. the character in the beginning of the movie who um, whose wife is cheating, cheating on him. On him. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Right. Poor guy. And then she's beat up later. Sorry. Did you, detail, I was going to say that. Too. I was going to say, did you yeah. notice the black guy? I was like, I was oh, like, oh, come my on. God. But anyway, yeah. your point with Curly. Curly's a wife beater is what I was going to say. Is that like, it's really yeah. quick. She opens the door. She has the, Oh, so guy. yes. Also, also yes. an interesting thing because an interesting thing, because in the beginning of the movie, Jake is very like, once the case is done, it's that's it. Right. But he goes and sees the actual consequences of his actions, right? He's the one that yeah. took photos or he had someone hired to take photos of this woman sleeping. Another man presents them to Curly. Curly ends up beating his wife that's on mm-hmm. jake because he's the one that helped essentially uncover that i was like oh that's interesting it's directly connected to that first scene which is just kind of a joke that we think is gonna probably go away and not come back but also kind of a foreshadow of what's to come with with evelyn of like the consequence of his actions like uh, should he not have yes 
like the wife getting beat up part of me was like oh i hope jack nicholson is like or i hope giddis is like what the heck man don't hit your wife but it's just totally a non it's just totally a background detail again jack nicholson is just totally disinterested or didn't, didn't even like connect the dots yeah i think you get like a quick reaction from him but like other than that it's just i think it's like a realization of like oh that's on that's on me that one right there i like that actor a lot though he's in a few other movies i he's can't rocky, him. i think ah uh, yeah he's yeah. the uh yeah yeah totally when I write notes for movies, they're really just like quick sentences that don't make sense. So they're more like notes for me to like remember. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll piece yes. back. But I just wrote Curly slamming the door shut while tr- Jake tries to be careful. What is that from? But I'm assuming he likes just, oh, you know what it's from? I think it's when they're trying to get into his truck to kind of get away from the cops that are investigating. And he closes his door really close and he just slams the door shut. And Jake just like, looks yeah, that's great. Like, what are you doing? So I'd love to talk about Jack Nicholson for a second. First yeah. off, I'm grateful for this movie for documenting this beautiful moment of the sunset that is Jack Nicholson's hair. Sunset in terms of it fading? Yes, and just there's a sliver of hair. He's not quite a bald man yet, but he's definitely a heavily balding man. Right. And I feel like if you made this year, if you made this movie a year after this, you have a bald Jack Nicholson in that role. Like you can't do this look. I feel like in this movie, there's some scenes where I'm like, I think his hair is thinner than it has been the rest of the movie. I think even by the end of this movie, he was teetering on being a bald man. Yeah, you should have kept that fedora on. I think. I love this hair actually. I love that little part. With I the, love the part. It looked oh his look in this in general is iconic. Speaking of his look, too, you mentioned this. You mentioned his clothes. That was mm-hmm. like one theme I noticed. We get the sense that at the beginning of this movie, Jack Nicholson has just like upgraded or invested a lot in his business. Yes, because when he's talking to Curly at the beginning, Curly runs to the curtains and starts crying. Really dramatically, like, by the right, way, Curly. Yes, so he like puts all of his he's arms like, away. Yeah, you can't eat the Venetian blinds. I just got them installed last week. That's a good Jack. And so Nicholson. Venetian blinds are nice. Thank you. That was really good. I'm not going to try now because now it'll it'll sound worse if I try. But that tells me that he just upgraded the blinds in his office Mm -hmm. i don't know about venetian blinds but they sound like they're a little fancier maybe yeah Yeah. he also complains about his nice clothes getting wet throughout the movie he's walking through mud and he's like some italian brand shoes oh my gosh (laughs) so there's the sense to me too that he's a guy who's out on a limb a little bit like he's a guy who's so buttoned up and he's really good at his job kind of like ant-man actually where where he's trying to get this like business no that's a horrible analogy don't cut out at man but i get the sense that he's a guy who's invested a lot in his business and maybe yeah. is like turning a new leaf mm. because when we also see him reunite with his old co-worker in chinatown escobar oh, yeah. escobar mentions you're doing real good for yourself while he's looking at his outfit so those mm-hmm. are nice clothes that people can tell are expensive and he's not used to seeing him in nice clothes that look expensive so that tells me too that escobar is seeing him in this kind of new light as well mm. 
Do we know, was he a cop in Chinatown or a detective? I actually didn't catch that. I'm not sure. There's yeah. one scene where Evelyn Mulray, played by Faye Dunaway, mm. asks him if he ever wore a uniform, and he says right. sometimes. Okay. But anyway, this is like Paper Moon 2, where they never tell you much about the past of the main character in exposition, but you get a lot of details about their past and how they act and little passing remarks and things hey can we talk about uh talk about the music really fast yes please so i think you you mentioned that there was two composers right so Mm -hmm. uh there is a composer named philip lambro that i believe originally had the honors to do this movie but when it was screened for producers everyone was like yeah great movie but the music has got to go you gotta change the composer just change all the music and then they hired this guy named jerry goldsmith who had to write a score in nine days he had to rewrite all the music in nine days um, okay. and he even got, and he was awarded with an oscar nomination caleb what do you think about the music because i absolutely loved it i really liked it yeah it's interesting because oh sorry go ahead was this the same guy who did any other Roman Polanski movies? So there's a guy named Christoph Kameda, Kameda, who was like Polanski's go-to composer, but he died before, like a few years before this movie. So that's why okay. they went with this this other person. But Jerry Goldsmith has done movies like LA Confidential, Alien, uh, The Mummy, Total Recall, Poltergeist, Gremlins. So very accomplished. But what I wanted to say was the original guy, Philip Lambro, I believe his name was. So I listened to some of the music and it's very like kind of front and center, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like it feels very 1930s, like like you would like flapper girls would dance to the music, right? And I was listening to it. It just did not, it did not work well with the movie. Like it just wouldn't, it just felt way over the top. But what I love about what Jerry Goldsmith does is it really amplifies the tension throughout the movie. Like it's very stylized. It's almost bare too. You don't get music throughout the whole movie. A lot of it is kind of just like, yep, not soundscapes, but just like naturalistic. Like you can hear birds chirping. You can hear like cars and water running, things like that. And then the music will come in when it's necessary. But I I, know, I thought it was really awesome, especially the moments when there's conversations between Jake and Noah Cross. Like you can hear yeah. the music like it, it's like telling you like this is a really tense situation. You should be scared. You should be nervous. And I kind of love like I kind of love music kind of putting its stamp like that, kind of giving the audience mm-hmm. kind of like more of like an, an emotional reaction. I don't know. It worked really well with me. I really like the music. I was curious about whether or not it was his regular guy or if he had a regular guy. Cause I feel like the soundtrack of Rosemary's baby is so iconic. Also featured at the end of once upon time in Hollywood. That's the music playing over the last scene of once upon time in Hollywood is the theme of Rosemary's baby. The music in dance of the vampire or the fearless vampire killers Mm -hmm. was also really good and really dreamy. So that's and Christoph Kameda. That's the, the so regular guy who passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he did mo- all of Polanski's movies, I believe. 
running the music, the music, I thought all the music of his films that I've seen, the three are really like, they have this kind of dreamy, mm. like atmospheric. Rhythmic, yeah. And they're almost like hypnotic. Like mm-hmm. this, this happened to me and in vampires when I watched it, where I just got the music would kind of have this, like, especially in this movie, you're just kind of like running around LA and there's, they'll, they'll have these like kind of haunting soundtracks going while he's driving. I feel like, mm-hmm. and it just kind of felt like you were in this dream. I don't know. It was just no, really good. And I, that's what a good movie is. Exactly. I guess, but it's super effective. Yeah, it does. Like it's in the background until you actually need it. Right. It doesn't like take over the movie. I agree. Yeah. I and, and, yeah, it just has a great effect where, where you get pulled in in a way you don't even realize. This movie, so this this is essentially the baby, Chinatown is the baby of, like Roman Polanski directed it, but the movie is written by Robert Town. Like this is his movie, and it was actually supposed to be a trilogy. So there was this okay. movie, there is a movie they got made in, in 1990, directed by Jack Nicholson, called The Two Jakes which was also written mm-hmm. by uh, Robert town. And there was supposed to be a third movie. The two Jakes apparently is awful. It's really bad. So it was made and everything. It was made. It was directed by Jack Nicholson, written by Robert town has a few directed by Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. And an actual sequel to this movie. Yes. I'm, I'm very oh, interested to watch, to watch it. that. I'm very interested. But essentially, from what I've heard, is it takes everything that Chinatown does and does well, and it just doesn't do that. Like it kind of actually it it like falls back into the noir tropes, things like that, okay. which is like not a bad thing, but it just doesn't do it well. But it's kind of a bummer. So we talked we've we've talked about how Roman Polanski is a very problematic person. Uh, yeah, all in all, very bad guy. He is a good director. And from what I've read is that he really did help make this, this screenplay like a little bit more streamlined. And you can also tell, and just from what I've heard about the two Jakes that that movie was all Robert town. Like that was his screenplay and it was just an absolute mess. So yeah. I, I don't know. I I'm, I'm just saying that cause I'm like, People are like, this screenplay rules. Like, this is the best thing. Like, this is the best screenplay ever written, which it is. But also it was um, a lot of plants co- put that co-opted by a by a very bad person, which I thought was kind of interesting. But yeah, and maybe we already talked about this, but just to retouch on it in case it wasn't clear, we do not endorse Roman Polanski as a human being. It is a classic movie, and he made a lot of films that were very influential. So, right. Yeah, that's it. So I kind of touched on this as well, and I want to touch it on again, and maybe it's out of place and I'll cut it out. But I wanted to dive a little deeper. I think it's fascinating that Roman Plansky decided to play the character who cuts his lead star's nose. Generally, this is another subverting expectations that this movie does well. You've talked about that a lot, how it doesn't really conform to noir trope story wise but still hits a lot of the aesthetic themes and and vibes generally a 
a director doesn't want to cover up his actor's face in yeah. a movie. That's like a bad thing. And, right. And so it was, there was something so the meta was so funny to me of the director coming into forcing his way into a movie to, to <laughs> cause facial bodily harm to his right. lead actor. So the actor has to have a disgusting, like big giant gauze on his face. It's like has blood seeping on it for the rest of the movie. And then even when he takes the gauze off, he still has basically like nose rings. Like I can't, I couldn't help yeah, but like nose rings stitches, with his stitches. Yeah. It looked cool, but I, there, the, the meta, there was something about that. That just was a great joke on its own. Like aesthetically though, I loved it. I kind of just loved, I just loved the way yeah. it looked. It's like a big honking bandage on his face. And it like, it, it feels like it's supposed to be like a there for a comedic effect, which maybe, but it's just, it's just cool. I don't know. Maybe not for comedic effect, but it was just, I just, I, it worked. It worked. Yeah, no. And it's iconic. Actually, when that happens, and he gets his nose cut and it just spurts with blood immediately. Oh. I was like, oh, this is how he gets the bandage. Because I've seen that right, picture yeah. of Jack Nicholson with that face so many times. And I just thought it was from a scene in the movie. And I didn't realize it's literally the last like three quarters of the movie that he's got it now. Great. It's and I awesome. thought that was just also scene to scene. You can see the blood come in and go. So like mm-hmm. you can see there the blood grow as scenes move. And then I was noticing it. And then eventually Evelyn Mulray is like, let me clean it up for you. Or he's like, do you have gauze? And they yeah. clean it up. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Cause I noticed they paid attention to how much blood was on the bandage in each scene. You could see it spread. Right. And I didn't watch yeah. it super closely. So maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I noticed that. It's interesting. They make out after that scene. Um, and there's like <laughs> yeah. no, no the blood classic. on no blood on her face. No, that's so not how that Hollywood works. Films are yeah. so unrealistic. I've made out, yeah, many times with yeah. bloody nose. Yeah, exactly. It gets everywhere. Dude. I've kissed yeah. a lot of hockey players back in my day, and let me tell you, that's yeah. not how it works. Real quick, before um, yeah, before we wrap up or or whatever. So I want to sure. talk about Faye Dunaway. So her and Roman had a very tense relationship on set like roman did not care for her character he didn't even really write that much character detail like it was basically faye dunaway having to essentially create the character like i said before her giving jack nicholson the cue to slap her to kind of put more like Mm. dramatic dramatic oomph in the scene things like that like she really took ownership over evelyn and really made it her own oh so something that I've read was Faye was like, so what is my character's motivation for this scene? And Roman just says, your character motivation is that you get paid, like getting paid, meaning you, the actress, like he just has like zero, like kind of what you said about Sharon Tate too. When you first met her, just like zero respect for the, for the female artist, which I just thought was interesting and also really annoying. And just him being a asshole gaslighter trying to get like, yeah i don't know i just thought it was that was really irritating because i thought she was awesome it's a bummer to hear yeah she was also great. i do wonder about her eyebrows okay that must just i have era. i have a thing about that too <laughs> okay i'd love to hear it so roman polanski based her makeup off his mother so roman polanski his family Ooh. died in the holocaust so he is a holocaust survivor oh. and he based yeah. which this is like very that's very crazy. weird and creepy but yeah he he told 
he basically had her made up as he remembered his mother. Like, so wow. like the thin eyebrows kind of almost like the mask and the mask mm-hmm. being like metaphorical that she's basically wearing a mask throughout the whole movie because she's hiding something, blah, blah, blah. But I thought right, that was really right. kind of like creepy also. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a little odd, especially since he didn't like her character very much. Or yeah. Actress. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, art takes you some weird places, I guess. Mm-hmm. But since he's a creep, we'll judge him. Yeah. That's interesting. No, because eyebrows really did stand out to me. And I was kind of like, it was off putting. Huh, I didn't it doesn't love look it. great on her. I didn't love you know, it. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't great. It actually reminded me if you've seen eight and a half, there's kind of a seductress down by the water uh-huh. with the famous scene. And she kind of looked like she was done up like her as well. Mm. Yeah, I like eyebrows. Yeah, I like human eyebrows as well. I I like human eyebrows, Caleb White. (laughs) A memoir. I have two little facts. Please. So Jack Nicholson was born in 1937, same year as this movie. I thought that was pretty cool. cool. Wow. Yeah, that is cool. And then also, I didn't know this. So John Huston is the father to Angelica Houston, famous actress. She was in the Adams family. Yes. Uh, yes. Royal Tenenbaums. I forgot. And she that. was dating Jack yeah. Nicholson during this time. No way. Yeah. And there's also, apparently she was on set when, and there's a scene where Noah Cross is talking to Jake asking, have you like, have you slept with my daughter or something like that? And apparently oh Angelica God. was on set during that. I don't know if that is like tales told out of school or whatever, but how hilarious though, how scary would that be? I would be talk terrified. About, yeah. Talk about, yeah. Unfortunate. What are the chances? That's, that's, that's cool. all I got. I love it. I, yeah, I appreciate that. I really enjoyed watching this. I, I would definitely watch it again. I think I'll try to watch it with Becca, my wife at some point. She wasn't able to watch it with me, um, but I'd watch it again. I really enjoyed it. And I, based on Rosemary's Baby alone, yeah, I thought I kind of got Roman Polanski, but adding these two movies really has expanded my view of what his career is like, because these are three very different movies between uh, Dance of the Vampire, mm. Rosemary's Baby, and now... Chinatown, three very different movies. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would suggest people watch this. I know obviously if you have problems supporting Roman Polanski and, and his films are completely understandable, but also like if you want to watch a piece of really like film, I don't know. I think this is a really important movie. uh, And I think the performances are like, amazing and again i think the screenplay is great i think there's a lot of yep a lot of um a lot of artists are in this movie so i think i don't know i i i would again i understand why people would would be apprehensive but if you if you have if you're if you're interested and want to watch it i would definitely i think this is a this is a great movie it's also funny i was talking to my sister about about this movie her and her husband because they're asking what movie we were we were going to talk about this week, and I mentioned Chinatown, and they're like, "Oh man, like they like this movie, but they're like it's so long, it's so long." 
And I was like, is it? And I looked, it's 130 minutes. Guardians yeah. of the Galaxies, like every other movie is like 150 minutes plus nowadays. And I'm like, it's only two yeah. hours and 10 minutes. It's not that crazy. But I just thought that was funny. <laughs> really not that long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing else said. <laughs> and it uses it, I guess, is what I wanted to say, too. Some movies feel long. This didn't feel very long to me. Like, I was pretty engaged. Yes. It, I, I was also engaged. And it's a very it's a very inf- efficient movie. You know, yeah. like like character, like everything propels the story. It doesn't feel like like mm-hmm. nothing seems unnecessary, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. And I think that's also what helps it from feeling like a slog, like, you yeah, know, as like a lot of two hour plus movies do. Anyway, they can. They mm-hmm. really can. If you, Yeah. If you can't separate it from the context of the filmmaker, I understand if you can, it's worth seeing it's just a really well-made movie that also has a great jack nicholson performance i i've really, said it, really good. i didn't get we didn't get super into it but loved him in this young jack nicholson is hard to beat and fun to watch and one flew over one flew over was right after this it was the following 76? year six 75? 75 yeah wow okay what a yeah. couple of years for him man i know that's a fun one too that one's a little long see if we're talking long movies one flew over the cuckoo's nest a little too long for me. Also, bucket list. <laughs> yeah, classic. Classic. Anger management. Uh, Schmidt about Schmidt. Hey, anger management is a fun is a funny movie. There, I, I said love Adam it. Sandler. I, I, I said, said on the it. podcast before. <laughs> Joker. Joker. Oh yeah, Joker. Huh. Oh. Okay. The awful romantic movie. Oh my gosh. You make me a better person. What is that one called? Oh, I thought you were talking about How Do You Know, which is a James L. Brooks movie that everyone's like, what is this? <laughs> James L. Brooks is an interesting guy, too. It, Alex, my wife is watching this movie, and I don't want to get into the plot of the movie. This is How Do You Know, a 2010 movie uh-huh. by James L. Brooks, but oh, wow. it's insane, Caleb. Okay. It's basically about a love triangle that involves a corporate guy, a baseball player, and a U.S. softball player. It's just <laughs> okay. like the weirdest thing That's I've ever quite heard. A setup. I would That's actually, quite I kind of want you to watch it just so you can be baffled by. It. I was gonna say maybe we should bring it up. James L. Brooks made another movie about. It might be called The Muse, but it was about him having a muse. Like he's a writer in Hollywood, and there's a girl who like enters his life and helps him write stories. Like she's actually like a magical muse of of olden days. Oh, interesting! Real weird movie. James L. Brooks, uh, Broadcast News, great movie. If you haven't seen it, 1987 uh, love triangle movie. Anyway, I'll watch this. That really good. Caleb, do you hear that? It sounds like horses are the hooves of some kind. Yeah, yeah. Is that a lasso? Are those uh, spurs? Um, yeah. Everybody gather around. It's Ian's review roundup. Darn tootin. Okay. Hey, guys. It's Ian's review roundup. Here we go. You know what time it is. <laughs> That was a disaster. Okay, guys, I this is it. this is where I read reviews on Letterboxd. 
we uh we like to include the community for which we adore so much so let's get right into it yep yep a lot of these reviews are positive i'm gonna find some some not so good ones because there's reasons to not like this movie but starting off with username lee and they give it a four and a half star review and they say forget a review it's chinatown pretty good i like that this is from username mad mad another four and a half star review and they say this scumbag can really direct a movie can't he yeah that's true started with that as our disclaimer i was gonna say there's another there's more there's more reviews like this banana pudding gives it five stars and they say you polanski i hope you burn in the deepest darkest depths of hell great movie though (laughs) nice yeah thank you banana pudding truman another five-star view and they say now that's how you end a film i agree truman i agree it's a good ending but i'm excited about it yeah i'm still processing though i'm still within a few hours of finishing this what do you mean I finished it around oh, I five. Thought, I thought you mean like I still haven't finished the movie yet. <laughs> I still got about an hour left. So I'm not sure what he's talking about. Yeah. What ending? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. These are some one star reviews. This is from Lilla. They give it a one star and they say very meta of Polanski to make a film about the fact that if you're rich and powerful, you can get away with the most vile things imaginable. Which is true. Yeah, he did about. some disgusting, vile things, and then he fled the country. So went to Europe. Yep, European vacation. Yep. This is from Matt, username Matt McCarthy. Another one-star review, and they say, "Do you like incest and water? Then I have got a <laughs> film for you." And that's a quote from username Glennis McCarthy, and they say, "I don't get this movie at all." <laughs> and then there's two comments and one of them is forget it matt it's chinatown <laughs> i love I, I just like that being <laughs> a through line for all these reviews but yeah again you know yeah i enjoyed it yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. really did maybe not the most inspiring movie but it made me think i definitely pro- like I'll, I'll, it's one that i'll be thinking about for a week or two at least i bet it'll keep popping it's, up it's not, yeah, it's not like a light, it's definitely not a lighthearted watch, right? Like you can't just. Well, Jack Nicholson can be a lot of fun and. Yeah. And He's a good foil. He threw some yeah. heavy stuff. Yeah. Is that the right word foil? I don't know. Anyway. It works. Well, foil I'm, to the film's darkness. I'm glad you, I, I'm glad I was able to get you to watch this movie. It's one I needed to watch, Ian. It's a, it is a, it is one you got to have on your, your list. Your letterbox watch list. Yeah, baby. Keeps growing. Yeah, baby. I'm addicted. So thank you for those reviews. Thank you for the suggestion. Thank you for sitting down with me for the last few hours and talking couple. Always. I think that wraps it up. I think I don't know if I have anything else. I think I've tapped the bank. Well, you have one last thing to do. Yes, I was going to say, is it time? It's it's the best time. This will be my third movie. I'm so excited to hear what you're going to say. So far, I've done Us and Paper Moon. That's it? Thought hard about this. Yeah, for some reason, I, you did two. You did the first two. No. And we had guests. Mm-hmm. Hold on. 
pause because the first one was Michael Clayton. The second you picked one... Michael Clayton. You picked Michael. Yeah, you picked Michael Clayton. Why? That what was great. Mean? All right, cool. I still remember why I was wanting to watch it. I'll have to re-listen to the podcast. You picked. Hold on. Now I want to know. Maybe it's because I watched Andor. Yeah, you're right. I did Rushmore, Francis Ha, and this. And then so you did three, three, then. Michael Clayton, Francis Ha, and then this will be your third. Yeah, because you had two. Uh, so wait, how? what's up? Uh, whatever. Oh, nothing. I just oh, 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 no, I'm sorry. Myself. I'm sorry. I, it's because I haven't I haven't updated the diary for Paper Moon yet. <sighs> So you're Michael okay, Clayton, cool. us, Paper Moon. I'm Rushmore, Francis So I Hall. did pick Michael Clayton. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Fun. I just must have wanted to watch it. For some reason, I thought you recommended it. Cool. Well, we love our podcast. Clearly. <laughs> Boy, so do I had a few movies. I've started to make a private list on Letterboxd of future movies because you told me you did that. So I yes. copied you. Yes. I'm not going to tell you what the other ones that potentially were. I don't want to know. My One day you will. Hopefully you'll watch all these with me someday. Real quick though, I do want to say, sorry, yeah. I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to say that I want movies to be up for grabs. So I think if I if you watch a movie in your like last four that intrigues me, and I might want to talk about it, I think that's fair game, right? That's fair game. Oh yeah. Okay, good. I I just don't want these movies to be forgotten. You know what I mean? Like I want to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark maybe in the future. Yeah, and in my mind, you can do. In my mind, you can do Chinatown again in two months and say, I want to do Chinatown again because I watched it again. And I want to keep talking about it. I have new thoughts. I, I'm cool with that. We can get Angelo on. There what was he want to talk about? You. I, okay, was yeah. there? There was somebody wind- walking. Okay. That's Is that good. a private area or public? Well, it's a sidewalk. I have a window open. So it's just, my- okay. It creeped me out. Oh, that scared me, Caleb. It was just like, oh, there's another person. <laughs> Stop doing that. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, so I have a few movies. So okay. I really wanted to do one that was more fun. These have been fun movies. But Paper Moon was a little heavier. There's some heavy themes. This sure. definitely was a little heavier. Us was pretty heavy for me. Michael Clayton was pretty heavy. I'm going to go fun. <laughs> so I'm going with one of the most fun movies I I'm know. I'm so excited right now. It's one I watch a lot. <laughs> I'm so excited. We will be watching. <gasps> oh my god! Let me get all the beaded breath. So do it dramatically. I might cry right now. I actually am very excited. We will be watching this week. 1997, <gasps> directed by Simon West. What? Starring <gasps> Nicolas Cage, John Mal- Malkovich, <gasps> John Cusack, Ving Rhames, no! Dave Chappelle. There are more. Where are they? Danny Trejo. No way. Among others, Conair. Yes. I've never seen this movie. Oh, yes. Okay, I was hoping. I know everything about this movie other than seeing it. I know. I'm pumped. So good. Give really me long fun. hair, Cage. Like, oh. We could just jump into a new episode now about Conair, but I won't. <laughs> Until you've watched it. Yeah, give me some next time. week. But man, I can't wait to crack this open. I'm hoping there'll be lots of laughs because it's a hilarious movie. Real quick, 
Can I yeah. just give people a snapshot of the poster for this movie? Yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> it's very 90s. So there is two kind of silhouette shots. You have John Malkovich on the left. You have long hair Nick Cage in the center. And then you have John Cusack on the right. Right below that yeah. is an airplane on fire. Right below that <laughs> is Ving Rhames hands stretched out or arms stretched out i should say with two guns and then underneath that says con air with the crest of an eagle um and this is going to be the best move i've ever seen so i'm excited i can't wait dude steve buscemi yes plays a psychopathic mass murderer fiend grames is a murderer dave Chappelle's a murderer con air <laughs> Great movie. Cannot wait to watch it. Ian. Yeah. We get in the books. We're growing. We're expanding. We're learning. Mm-hmm. We're improving. Yeah. Are we having fun? Always. What are you talking about? Yeah, good. Me too. I don't know. I was just making sure. Yeah, we're having a good time. I hope the audience is having a good time. If they're not... How how should they get at us? If they have any if any feedback, if they want to ask questions, sometimes we like to start this podcast with a nice question and hearing from you guys, yeah. that that would be we, we want some listener engagement. That's what we're asking for. So Yeah, let us know feedback, positive, negative, constructive, destructive. If really you want cut to us down a movie to size. for us to watch, yeah. If you want to talk about coming on to the show and doing a movie with us, truly, reach out, Ian. Yeah, or I will respond to you, and um, we love it. Yeah, usually Let us have it. Usually, podcasts are very like gatekeepy. You know, they don't want any Joe Schmo coming off the street talking about an interest that they have. Here at Log It. We're the exact opposite. We want Mm -hmm. any person who expresses interest in movies has seen a movie. Any seen a movie? Yeah. We we want you to come on. We want you to chime in. We want you to partake in the podcast. And you can get you can do that by finding us on Instagram, log it underscore pod. You can send us a DM. You can email us at log it another movie podcast at gmail.com you can send us a question you can review us you can review us on apple and spotify and in that review you can maybe say something nice i'm seeing i we have five star reviews caleb we have eight of them on apple but there's no like that's awesome it is awesome i do appreciate it but there there's no like you guys are great really keep up the good work it's just there's i would like i would like some some sentences Check this out. I'm on Apple Podcasts right now, and I'm looking at a five-star review. Check this out. <gasps> and this is, go to Casa Vega. That's the title. And I believe this is my mom's coworker. <laughs> and they say, <laughs> love I love it. That's Thank awesome. you so much. They say, seriously, I have gone to Casa Vega, which is once upon a time in Hollywood since I was five years old. Nice. My husband and I had our rehearsal dinner there, and our daughter celebrated her 21st birthday there. You guys have to go check it out with Ian's mom. Thank you. 
I'll meet you there cool. and treat you to their famous margarita. Caleb, we are taking a road trip down to California and we're taking them yes. up on their offer. I would love to. I love it. See, that's the kind of thing. This is what we want. We want to interact with our community. Yeah. We love Let's you guys. Let's go get drinks at Casa Vega. We love movies. You guys love movies. There's no need to be all huffy puffy. No. Cinephile. You know, we love that. We love cinephiles. Get, come on. But, you know, we are at also- the end of the day. Movies mm-hmm. are for people to watch, right? Thank you, Caleb. Ultimately, they're they're so amazing because people love watching them. That's, and that's right. what this podcast is all about. That's right. That's it. That, I just got off my soapbox. I love it. I think it's a great message. Movies are for everyone. And yes, we do have stickers. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Tom has been emailing me and he's frankly pissing me off a little bit. But yes, we do have stickers. I will be posting them on our social and hopefully we will get more made. So if if you like the artwork, you might find those in sticker form. How about that? Didn't think that was going to happen, did you? Well, guess what? It did. Yeah. Now I'm getting pissed off, Caleb, because people. Well, we got stickers, don't we? That's true. That's true. We got stickers. So there's something to get mad about. That's right. Take the sticker. Stick over your. Beep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Con Air is available to stream on True TV, apparently. Oh, so if you have yeah. True TV by some chance, you may have to pay for it. It is available to rent for $4 in a lot of services, but it's also like on Sci Fi, TBS, TNT. I don't know if anybody has that, though. I would also recommend going to your local library. Check these movies yeah. out at your library if you can. Canopy as well. Canopy if they're on there. But yeah, definitely support your local libraries if possible. Speaking of episode announcements, can't wait to see what the artwork for Con Air is going to be. It's going to be hard to pick a frame. It's going to be hard. Because there's a lot of great ones. Yeah. It should be you and me on the cover with big frames with the two guns. Anyway. Okay. I would love that. Ian, this is your barbecue and it tastes good. Is that from Conair? Yeah. Okay, good. It's one of my favorite lines. I love it. It's a foreshadow. I love it. Ooh, I like that. I hope I said it right. That's a great line in it. Delivered by Nicolas Cage. Who else? Well, yeah, my butt hurts. Let's get out of here. Let's send him off yeah. with a... Go watch a movie. Go watch a movie. Goodbye. I had come.